All right, good morning. I'll, I know we're asleep this morning. Good morning. All right, that's a little bit better. I feel like we should stand up and do some jumping jacks or something. I appreciate you guys coming in what feels like a very early morning, and I, I pray that our time together is fruitful and, and definitely worth it. It is definitely good to, to come together and gather on a, on a day that we have family worship, and I, I love watching our, our kids worship with us and them seeing their parents worship. I think it is very healthy. So today, we haven't done this for a while. Uh, we've been walking through the, the book of Luke for a long time now, and it's been a while since I've kind of taken a moment just to kind of remind us of why Luke wrote this gospel. And so we're going to be camping out in Luke 18, but first I want you to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, which is on page 947. And as a reminder, if, if you haven't been here for a while, this is maybe new information to you, but Luke was actually not one of the 12 original disciples. He was a physician. He was a historian. Uh, and he also was a missionary with Paul. And we learn at the very beginning of Luke why he wrote this gospel. This is his intention. So look up uh, Luke 1, starting in verse 1. Luke writes, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. And so Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote to his friend Theophilus, a gospel account, an orderly account, because he wanted him and he wants us 2,000 years later to be certain of the things that we've been taught about Jesus. And so over the last 18 chapters, Luke has made it clear that Jesus is not simply a good teacher, that Luke was, uh, he explains Jesus as being born and it was a miraculous birth. His teaching was very authoritative. He even commands the wind, and the wind obeys him. He performed many miracles. He walks on water. He heals the lame. He gives sight to the blind. He casts out demons. He shows that he has the authority to forgive sins, which only God can do that. And he even, and this is what we're going to hone in on today, he prophesies several times that he's going to die and then be raised from the dead. Uh, in fact, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 9. So go to the right. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 21. Now, this will give you a little context here. G uh, this is right after Peter has just proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ. And then we read this in verse 21. And he, Jesus, strictly charged and commanded them, his disciples, to tell no one, saying... The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And then again, just a few verses later, still in chapter 9, verse 43, after Jesus has just healed a boy and everybody's like amazed and marveling at the majesty of God, we read this, but while they were all marveling 
at everything he was doing, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, but they do not understand the saying. And it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Okay, so we go from that, and I want you to go ahead and turn to Luke 18. This is today's passage, Luke 18, starting in verse 31. And Jesus, once again, now for the third time, is telling his 12 disciples what's going to happen to him when they get to Jerusalem. And once again, his disciples don't get it. They don't understand. And so we're going to talk about, okay, why is that? Why don't they get it? And what, what significance does that have for us today? And so the context of what's going on here in Luke 18, if you uh, look at verse 31, we are reminded that Jesus and his disciples are headed towards Jerusalem. Luke has mentioned that several times in the last few chapters. Luke makes it clear that Jesus did not just wander around aimlessly. He's on a mission that would culminate in his death and, in, and the resurrection. And so right before this passage, if, we, if you were here last week, Jesus has just challenged a rich man to give up everything he he owns, sell it, give the money to the poor, and follow him. And the, the rich man walks away sad because he's got a lot of stuff, and he loves his stuff more than he loves God. And, and then remember, Peter pipes up and says, Jesus, we've done that. We've given up our jobs. We've given up our family. We've given up our, our, our homes to, to follow you. And Jesus very lovingly commends his disciples for their sacrifice, which brings us to today's passage it's a passage that really reminds us that no matter what we sacrifice for Jesus, it pales in comparison to what Jesus has already sacrificed for us. So let me pray, and then we'll dive into this passage. Father, I pray that you would help our minds be alert, even with a lack of sleep, that you would help, that your spirit would cause us to be able to focus, and we would learn what your inspired author originally intended, that you, that you inspired him to, to say to us, that you would speak to us in such a way that it would move our affections towards you, that we would fall deeper in love with you, that we would have more of a passion for you, that we would see the significance of the resurrection for our own lives, and that we would, we would have more certainty of our relationship with you because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we pick up in verse 31. <clears throat> and taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them. And they did not grasp what was said. So here we see that Jesus pulls his 12 disciples aside. This information is not meant for everyone. And we're gonna, he says, we're going to go to Jerusalem and everything that was written about the Son of Man by the prophets 
will be accomplished. And so if you turn back to the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to start there and there are at least 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. We're going to walk through them one by one. No, I'm just kidding. We won't do that. That would take way too long. But there are, there are numerous, numerous prophecies in the Old Testament that point towards Jesus. Uh, the first one, I'm going to give you some of the highlights. In Genesis 3.15, that's the first time that God really gives hope to Adam and Eve. Even as he's cursing them, he gives them mercy. He says, one day an offspring of Eve would, would crush Satan's head. Later on in Genesis, Abraham is promised that one day an offspring of his would be a blessing to all nations. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah declares that the, the promised Messiah that is to come would be a descendant of King David. And Isaiah 53, we could spend weeks in Isaiah 53. Uh, it's, it's a great chapter that really gets into the specifics about the suffering and death and really tells us why Jesus came as a Messiah. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Also in that chapter, we read that he would be silent before his accusers, that he would be buried among the rich, and that out of his anguish of his soul, he would be satisfied. God's wrath would be satisfied. Uh, verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, we see in that passage. He was put to grief uh, when his soul makes an offering for guilt. And again, we could, we could spend weeks digging into that passage and really barely scratch the surface of all the treasure that's in Isaiah 53. Later on in the prophets, Amos prophesied specifically that there would be darkness that would fall on the earth when Jesus died. Uh, the prophet Zechariah even speaks of the 30 pieces of silver that Judas would take to betray Jesus and then later on purchase a potter's field. And so Jesus is telling his disciples that everything that the prophets have said, have predicted hundreds and even thousands of years ago, is about to become accomplished, is the word he uses. And I love that word accomplished here, because in the Greek, it's the word tetelios. And it literally means paid in full. He's saying that everything that they've prophesied in the Old Testament is going to be paid in full. In fact, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he says, it is finished, he uses that same word, tetelios. He's saying, paid, it's been paid in full. It's a great reminder that what Jesus did on the cross, he paid the penalty that we deserve. He paid the debt, our debt in full on the cross. And so Jesus says to his disciples, verse 32, for he, talking about himself, will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon and after that, flogged, and they will kill him. Remember, the physical pain that he went through is just a small fraction of the spiritual pain that he went through as the Father turned his back on Jesus. Jesus knew what was going to happen to him, though. He wasn't surprised when they arrested him. He wasn't surprised. He wasn't shocked when they dressed him up and put a crown of thorns on his head and mocked him and spit on him. He wasn't shocked when they stripped him from his clothes and nailed his hands and feet onto the cross and raised him up amongst common criminals. We know that this was the plan of God from the very beginning. In fact, Peter, in filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, 
He's preaching and he says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And so again, Jesus didn't just wander around aimlessly healing people and teaching. That's a, a lot of people think that's who Jesus was. He just kind of aimlessly wandered around teaching and, and healing people. He was a good guy. But Luke makes it very clear that he was on a mission to rescue his people. Everything he did, everything he said had a purpose. From the very beginning, from his birth, it's, he's on a trajectory towards the cross. But again, the cross is not the end. Again, if, if, he, if he had simply been a good teacher and even healed some people and he was put on a cross next to common criminals, if that's all that happened, we would have forgotten about him a long time ago. We would not still be talking about him 2,000 years. But think about that. I mean, we're still talking about Jesus 2,000 years later. And in fact, there are millions of people today that are gathering for worship in secret because they know if they're, they're caught, they could be thrown into jail or killed. How do we explain that? The only explanation is that Jesus Christ did not stay dead, that he was raised. The resurrection is huge. The only explanation is that he was raised from the dead. You cannot overestimate the significance of the resurrection. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So Jesus physically rising from the grave proved that he was who he claimed to be. He claimed to be the Son of God. In the resurrection, Jesus proclaims his victory over sin and over death and over Satan. Paul says that if there was no resurrection, everything that we're doing here is really pointless. Our, our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain. Our suffering for, for Christ it makes us the most pitiful of all people because we've believed a lie. And more than importantly, if, if he was not raised from the dead... We are still in our sins, and we stand before God guilty and condemned. But if Christ did rise from the grave, there's great hope that one day we will also be raised up with him, that we will spend eternity in heaven with our Savior, that one day those whom we've lost that are in Christ, we will get to see them again. The resurrection is a reminder that our suffering is not evidence of God's absence. That even in our, our worst seasons, even the worst seasons of our life, God is totally in control. He is there with us. He is there for us. And we can trust in his promises. And I pray that we will never grow tired of hearing about the resurrection. Easter should be our, our most favorite day of the year. And as Easter approaches, we're, we're about a month out from Easter, I would highly encourage you to take advantage of this season. Even today, 
There are many people that you know, friends and family, that are not connected to a church that will accept an invitation on Easter Sunday to come and to hear the gospel. Uh, even strangers will come and, and hear the gospel. Uh, Paula, your first Sunday was Easter last year here at Mercy Hill, right? People will come if you invite them. Uh, and, and I would encourage you, a couple months ago, we did a series, a, a short series called Who's Your One? I would highly encourage you, between now and Christmas, re-up your commitment to pray for somebody that needs to surrender their life to Christ. If you weren't here during that series, basically, we, we just all committed, okay, I'm going to continually pray that God would open up doors for me to have gospel conversations with somebody that would open up doors for me to invite them to hear the gospel and that they would, they would come to know the Lord. I would love for every, if every single one of us committed to bring somebody to Easter service with you, that you know that they need to hear the gospel. I mean, one, we would be busting at the seams here, which, by the way, that is not our primary goal. Our primary goal is to honor God and glorify God by making disciples, but to make disciples, how does that start? By proclaiming the gospel. And so Easter is a great opportunity for us to invite people to come and hear the gospel. We'll have some invitations next week for you to be able to go, and I would encourage you to go to your neighbors, your friends, your family, the people you work with, the people you go to school with, invite them uh, to, to come and to, to hear the gospel. All right, back to our passage. I, I, I want us to wrestle with why the disciples just don't get it. And so, again, this is the third time that they've heard Jesus, he, uh, Jesus is telling his disciples, to, that, look, this is what's going to happen to me. He obviously wants them to remember this. But when it comes to the events leading to Easter, they are totally clueless. I mean, think about it. Jesus is arrested. They all freak out, right? Like, what is going on? Peter draws a sword. Uh, most of them scatter. Peter denies that he even knows Jesus to like a middle school girl. They all freak out. When he dies, what do they do? They mourn because that's what you do when somebody that you love dies. They, they're sad. And it's clear that none of them really expected him to come back to life. On that third day, the first people that go to the tomb, they're not looking for an empty tomb. They're looking to embalm a body. And even after his resurrection, when they see Jesus for the first time, they think he's a ghost. They don't recognize him. And so why do they remain so clueless? After Jesus has told them numerous times what's going to happen, well, I think part of their confusion is probably just because they're human, okay? All of us have the tendency to, to be forgetful and to not understand. Uh, it's not unusual for me to walk into the kitchen to go get something, and I get to the kitchen, I have no idea what I was going in there to get. I just completely cross, <laughs> forgot. Anybody else have that same, uh, <laughs> same thing? Yeah. And, and, and that's not unusual for us. Um, and also, I mean, think about it. Jesus has been profoundly challenging their whole worldview and their religious assumptions. He often spoke in parables. And they may have just struggled knowing when Jesus was speaking literally and when he was speaking figuratively. And so they're human. It, also, it's not every day that somebody prophesies that they're going to die and then come back to life, and then they actually do that. Okay? I've never personally met somebody physically that, that's done that. <laughs> and so it's not a normal thing for that to happen. So at some level, I think that we can empathize with the disciples being a little slow here. 
But our passage also mentions that there is something more going on here. There's something more going on than them just being human. Look back at verse 34. But they understood none of these things. Why? This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. When we looked at that passage back in Luke chapter 9, the same thing. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And so God is intentionally hiding them from fully understanding what he's saying here. Why would God do that? Well, at the end of the day, we can't be for sure. We, We don't know for sure. We do know that God is wise and is good and His timing is always perfect. Perhaps if they fully understood what Jesus was saying here, they, maybe they would have tried harder to prevent His death. Um, maybe they would have walked around with kind of an arrogant attitude and that would have brought on more persecution towards Jesus and His death would have came too soon We don't know for sure, but I do know this, that often, and there's a pattern in Scripture, you see this, in God's infinite wisdom, He will plant a seed in our hearts through His Word. We'll we'll hear the Word, a seed will be planted, but it's not until later on that we fully understand and can fully grasp what He means and the significance of it. Uh, Jesus even talks like, He uses the same language in John 16 One through four, Jesus is warning his disciples of this future persecution that they're going to experience. And he says, look, I've said all of these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you. Why? That when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And so in this situation, Jesus is very intentional about preparing his disciples. Look, these things are going to happen to you. And when they do, I want you to remember what I said. And those words significantly helped the disciples. When they faced persecution, they had a grit about them. They were prepared because they knew that this was all part of God's plan. And they understood the significance of God's word after the fact when they started facing that persecution. Uh, my wife, Cam, when, when she was in college, she went off to uh, Campus Crusade, had these summer projects during the summer. And so she went to Colorado, Colorado and spent a summer in Colorado on a, basically a, a long or a short-term mission trip for like six weeks, I think. And while she was there, she was doing some Bible study on the fear of the Lord. And uh, the, the group decided to go whitewater rafting in Colorado. And so they're in the, uh, the rapids. In fact, they're going through a part of the rapids called Suicide Rapids. So that was, that's what it was called. It was a, a class four rapid. So if, you know, if you've ever been whitewater rafting, they go up to five, right? And so four is pretty intense as far as rapids go. And their raft capsizes, turns over, and she gets stuck underneath the raft in these class four rapids. And so you can imagine she's like gasping for breath, trying to get up, and then she hits the, 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 uh, the raft, and she goes back down, and, and she's just 
struggling to survive. Eventually, she finally goes under the water and back up to be able to get out from underneath the raft. And fortunately, there was somebody there that threw her a rope and then pull, was able to pull her to the side so that she could stand up and, and get out of that. Uh, but afterwards, she, she said that in that moment, I fully understood what it meant to fear the Lord. Because in that moment, there was zero, I, had, I, was, I was out of control. There was, I had zero control of the situation. The river was just taking me. I was fully and totally submissive to the mercy of God. And it was in that moment that all of the things that she had been studying in God's word became significant. And God does that. He'll, he'll, he'll plant a seed through the word. And so parents, uh, as we celebrate uh, family worship, I want to encourage you that uh, when you're sharing the word with your kids and it seems like they're like in another planet, like my boys seem like they're right now, uh, <laughs> um, don't be discouraged. Uh, and I'm preaching to myself right now, even as I say this. Like when, when, when you're trying to share like some deep truth with them and they're like wanting to like start a food fight, uh, maybe God is just planting a seed in their hearts and that someday God's going to flip their raft over and it'll become significant to them in that moment. They'll have that aha moment. Well, in, in Luke 24, we read about the moment Jesus helped to open the eyes of a couple of his disciples. And so we've got these two disciples that are on the road to Emmaus, and they encounter the risen Jesus. And in verse 16, we read that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So God, again, God is blinding them to, to see who he really is in that moment. And the two men had heard these rumors about Jesus being alive, but they didn't quite believe it. And so we read, Jesus says to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning, I love this, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so he went through all 300 prophecies about himself. I don't know if he did that or not, but I mean, he, he, he started walking them through the Old Testament. And, this is, and he's saying, look, this is about the Messiah. This is about the Messiah. He goes on. So they drew near to the village, to Emmaus, to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is towards evening, and day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Okay, sounds a little bit familiar, right? Like the Passover. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathering together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Notice 
Jesus opened their eyes through the normal means of grace. He opened their eyes simply through Scripture and the breaking of the bread and fellowship. There's no dramatic music, no emotional manipulation, simply the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the breaking of bread and fellowship. And their hearts burned and their eyes were opened. That's why we gather together. It's because we need our eyes to be opened more and more. Has God opened your spiritual eyes to see the significance of Jesus' death and resurrection? If he has, I, I pray that he would continue to open them. And if he, maybe today, for the first time, God is opening up your eyes. He's doing a work in your, your heart. Um, in your, if you've got the bulletin uh, at the end of the notes, I, I wrote down, there's 10 questions. Uh, Donald Whitney wrote this book called 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health. And I think these questions are really beneficial, not just to diagnose your spiritual health if you're a Christian, but also really to diagnose, am I really in Christ? Because these are, the, these are some of the things, and you're not going to be perfect in any of these, Okay. But these are some of the, the signs that, okay, the, the Spirit of God is actually in me. These are some of the fruit that comes from that. And so look at those questions if you've got your bulletin. If not, I'll, I'll read them to you. First one is, do you thirst for God? Do you, hunger, do you want to know Him more? Do you have a hunger for Him? Do you, do you find yourself looking to God's Word when nobody else is around? Do you, do you find yourself praying when nobody else is around? Do you have a hunger for Him, a hunger to get to know your Savior? Do you thirst for God? Are you, do you have a desire to come and hear the Word? Do you thirst for Him? Number two, are you growing in your obedience to God's Word? Do you find yourself wanting and longing to be more obedient to Christ? And so you're reading and you're discovering more and more what it means to be a Christian. You want to follow in Christ's steps. Number three, are you more loving towards others? Do you find your, your, your heart growing in compassion for others and loving others? And, and love is not just a, a feeling, it's a, yeah, it's a verb in the New Testament. So do you find yourself doing things for others just because you love them and you care for them? Next, are you more sensitive to God's presence? Do you, do you recognize that, that God is there, He is with you, He is for you? Do you have a growing concern for the spiritual and physical needs of others? Uh, do, you, do you find yourself prioritizing your schedule and your budget to be helpful to others? That you're, you're not just about yourself and your goals, but you recognize that, okay, those things can wait because I really need to focus more and more of my attention on helping and serving other people. Do you delight in the bride of Christ? Do you, do you delight in just being around your church family? You look at this as not just a, a place where I go to, to get a motivational speech, but you look at this as, as family, that you care for one another and you live life together and you're, you're seeking to really start build relationships and you're being intentional about connecting and you're, you're finding those one-to-one -one relationships and you're, you're looking forward to missional community and when you miss, you're like, man, it, you, you feel like you're just missing out on something that you desperately need. Do you delight in the bride of Christ? Just enjoy being around other Christians. Next, are, are, you, are your spiritual disciplines 
increasing? Are, are you finding yourself desiring more and more to spend time in, in the Word and, and praying and meditating on Scripture? Next, do you grieve over your sin? If you're a Christian, do you still grieve over your sin? Do you, are you growing? I, I think you see this in the Apostle Paul that eventually got to the point where he would say that I'm the worst of all sinners. I think as we grow as a Christian, you, you, God opens your eyes to see more and more of your, your own depravity. You recognize more and more and it humbles you and it, it causes you to be more thankful for what Christ has done for us on the cross. And then finally, is it easier for you to forgive other people's sins? As you grow as a Christian, you recognize how much you've been forgiven and you're very much more willing to forgive others. You will never have to forgive somebody more than you've already been forgiven through Christ. And I recognize that we go through seasons where we're not where we want to be spiritually, and these questions are not meant to fill you with guilt. They're meant to help you to evaluate your own heart and respond to the Gospels in God's grace. And so maybe God's today has been opening up your eyes to see the significance of the Gospel and the significance of the resurrection uh, I would love to help you grow in that more. I would love for you to take advantage of some of the things that we've got here at Mercy Hill going on. Uh, we've got uh, missional communities. We've got cross-training. Uh, we've got relationships and people that I know would love to be in a one-to-one and, and that you would just grow alongside of other believers. Uh, if today God is really been working on your heart, and maybe for the first time you've come to the point where you recognize that, you know what, I've never surrendered my life to Christ. I've never truly trusted in what he did on the cross to save me and rescue me and pay for my sins. Um, if God's moving in your heart in that way, I would love to celebrate with you. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray, and then uh, I'll be in the back. If you've got questions or you just need prayer, feel free to come back and join me there. And we're going to move into a time of communion here. And if you're a believer, I would encourage you to to join us. Uh, This is given to us to remind us of what Christ has done for us. The bread represents his body. The the juice represents his blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, This is also a time for us to give sacrificially and joyfully. And so I would encourage you to, to Come and respond as God is calling you to respond. Uh, after we get done singing, we're going we're gonna to stand together. And so would you pray with me, and then you come as God is calling you to respond. Father, thank you so much for the glorious truth of Jesus Christ, who came to rescue us from our sins, who lived the life that we could not live, who died the death that we deserved, but did not stay dead, that he conquered death, conquered sin, conquered Satan. Thank you for raising him from the dead to give us hope that one day we will also rise. One day we will see our family and our friends that are also in Christ and we will spend eternity with you. For your glory, I pray that we would see the significance of the resurrection more and more and that we would leave 
longing passionately to proclaim the good news to others. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you come as God is calling you to respond.